Oh Lord our God, we come to you now and we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And we ask you to sanctify us by your word. And you would make us more and more. To be better reflections of your glory and your son's power and might. We ask this in his holy and perfect name. Amen. Continuing with the book of Ephesians, let me read uh, verses uh, 6 through 21 of Ephesians 5. The sermon proper itself will be from uh, verses 15 through 21. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Well, it's been said that we live in strange times, I'm fairly certain that I'm not the first preacher to say that. Throughout history, pretty much any preacher could say we live in strange times. Because we're not in heaven yet. And if heaven is truly our home, if, as Paul says in the book of Philippians, that our citizenship is in heaven, then it would make sense that at any time in history, a preacher or a pastor... Any Christian, really, could say we live in strange times. Live during strange days. Or as Paul puts it here in his passage, the days are evil. We live in evil days. But what we think of as evil, the classic thing of evil, you know, black hooded demon worshiper or something like that, is, is fairly blatant. One of the lies that our culture has told us is this idea of living a carefree life. You know, to be footloose and fancy free. To have no cares. Now, I will grant you that having no cares in this world would be a wonderful, wonderful address. To have no cares. To be literally carefree. And most of the products that are advertised for us, most of the things that powerful people will tell us, they're almost always bent. If you peel back the layers of the onion, they will be peeled back as to saying, don't worry about it. You don't have any cares. We've taken care of this. 
If you do this, this, and that, your cares will be over. If you elect me, your cares will be over. Buy this car, and this will, your cares will be over. Take these steps, and all of your marital woes will be over. Take this carefree, carefree, carefree. Now, when we think of Psalm 91, our Psalter reading for the last month or so, we should, in some respects, as Christians, have a carefree life. To worry is a sin. Is anybody here guilty of that sin? I'll raise my hand to that one. I know you find that hard to believe, but I worry about things. I can think about, um, you can give me any type of situation, and I can figure out, um, in ways that you cannot begin to imagine, things that can possibly go wrong. You can't, you can't begin to imagine. Um, but it's a sin. Psalm 91 makes it very clear that if God is our refuge, if we're in His family, if we're in His covenant, that He will protect us. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have any cares, but we're not to worry about them, which worrying is a fairly common sin. doesn't make it any more acceptable, but it's a fairly common one, particularly for parents or grandparents. You, you get nervous uh, watching children grow up, and you, you wonder, well, what's going to happen? You know, is their life going to be better than mine? Now, that's the goal, is to have every generation do a little bit better in the covenant than the, than the previous one. But Paul, really, here, is, is arguing against the carefree life. He's actually arguing that we should have a careful life. That we should live with care, that we should handle a life with such care because it's fragile. Because it breaks so easily, and because we live in uncertain times and the days are evil, we should be continually in care of our lives. And frankly, many Christians don't do that. We don't. We don't take care of our spirit. And in not taking care of our spirit, we do damage to our souls. And you take an analogy from the physical world. If you do not take care of your physical body... Someone once told me, if you don't take care of your body when you're young, it'll take care of you when you're old. It'll take care of you when you're old. It'll make sure that it takes you out. And who, who, who doesn't know that as the years go by? Well, if that works in the physical world, how much more than in the spiritual world? If we don't take care of our spirits, our spirits will, will become barren. We will become dry as dust. And we'll have no, we will not have the joy of the Lord within us. And Nehemiah tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. How are we doing on the joy scale this morning? Can somebody please give me at least kind of a, kind of a fake smile? I see one that was semi-genuine. That's decidedly less so. Definitely not. Okay, that, that's a winner over there. Okay, she's laughing, Okay. Um, the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. And the only way we can have the joy of the Lord is if we're thinking about the Lord and the truths of the Lord. Because when we think about that, we will be reassured that what He has told us in His Word is true. And the things that He tells us in His Word are things like, your citizenship is in heaven. And if we focus on the fact that our citizenship is in heaven, then we will live a careful life here. I use this analogy a lot, but if you're traveling and you're in a foreign land, you're traveling in a foreign land that has some dangerous aspects to it, 
you will be careful to not lose certain things. You will not lose your passport. You will do everything you can to have a decent amount of American dollars in your wallet because they, that will open a lot of doors. A picture ID is very important. Your gun permit won't help you if you travel to Israel. You can't, you can't bring it with you. Okay? It's certainly not going to help you even if you go uh, next door to New York State. It's, it's not going to help you. They don't care that you're from Pennsylvania. They really don't. You're in a different state now. It's a new sheriff in town. You'll be careful. So, if we think about this world as not being our home, and if we think about the days being evil, and our citizenship being in heaven, and if we are ambassadors for Christ, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, then we will seek to live a careful life. And in order to live a careful life, you have to think about your life. You have to think about what you're thinking. You have to think about what you're doing. You have to think about what your desires are. What are you really striving for in this world? Is it to be like Christ? Is it to become more like God? Is as it is in in the earlier parts of this chapter, uh, in chapter 4 rather, to be an imitator of God? Or are we trying to imitate the world? Are we trying to get the world to accept us as a body, as a church, as individuals? Are we trying to get the world to accept us? The only way the world will accept us is if we renounce Christ. They won't ask us to do that because they're tolerant, right? They're tolerant. They will tolerate your religion as long as you keep your mouth shut. It's just that simple. Well, in a very real way, Paul wants us to keep our mouths shut. He wants us in a very real way to speak softly and carry a big stick. And the stick is God's word, the sword of the Spirit. Paul is arguing, and it's nothing new in the scriptures, that our, our deeds and, and the general tenor of our life is to be of such a caliber that people will want to hear what we have to say. They'll want to hear what we have to say. And this is what he's getting at here. He's continuing with the basic instruction and in how to live as a Christian in this present world with its present darkness and its present love of evil. And for Paul, this means living a vastly different life than our unsaved loved ones, than our unsaved neighbors. It means standing apart from the crowd. It means fortifying ourselves with the knowledge of God that the unbelievers we know, the unbelievers we know, and that the unbelievers that we love not only don't agree with us, but at some point in the future, they might actually seek to do us harm. It's a sad truth. Jesus' own family persecuted him. Jesus' own family thought that he was crazy. His brothers, we have no evidence that any of his brothers believed until after the resurrection. What must that have been like for him? To even have his mother forget what the angel had told her. To have even Mary forget that he was the Messiah. After all, he'd been lying dormant for a while. He was just a good Jewish boy, a carpenter's son. And then all of a sudden, he gets baptized by John the Baptist and we're off to the races. 
They sought to actively subvert his public ministry. We have to be realistic. In our current society, people don't just think that we're fools. They think that they're better than us. They don't think that we're just fools. They think they're better than us. They think that we're idiots. That we're chasing ice cream castles in the sky. That we're of no earthly good whatsoever because we're chasing after heaven. The, the ironic part of that is, is that even though they say that, the vast majority of Christians are not that heavenly minded. The vast majority of Christians are of a lot of earthly good because all we have our minds on is what's on this earth. If you look at your life this last week, if you look at your life the last uh, five years or so, if you're able to do that, if you're under five, you can't. Um, nor should you even bother to try at that age. But if you're a little older, just think, did you chase the earth more than you chased heaven? Probably. It's easy to get caught up in the, the grind of daily life, of earning a living and, and raising a family and, and paying taxes. But in this extended portion of Scripture, it's biblical wisdom that is, is told to us that we should be seeking. God's giving us a roadmap for the proper utilization of Christian conduct. That's what he's doing. He's, giving us, he's telling us what to do. What do the Scriptures principally teach? What man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man? Kids, that's a catechism question you'll be learning sooner rather than later. I think it's like number four on your list in an elementary ad. He gives us our code of conduct. And at each moment of our life, we're making a decision. At each moment of your life, you're making a decision what to do, what to think about, what to desire, what to dream about. And it really does all begin in between our ears, our thoughts. If you were to examine your thought life, you would realize, um, well, let me just say this. Um, You don't want to know anybody else's thoughts in this room. You don't. You have no idea what's going on there. You might find something that's really hideous. You have no idea. If that sounds scary, don't worry. I'm not telling you to you know, uh, be a spiritual Joe McCarthy and start witch hunting people. But our thought lives, the human mind can go down many, many highways and one-way streets that it has no business going down. It's much easier to control your actions than it is your thoughts. Because your actions have consequences. You get caught doing things. You get punished. You get embarrassed. Nobody knows your thoughts, do they? Not a single person on this planet actually knows your thoughts. Just you and God. And we know what one-way streets we go down. At Mach Mach 10 speed, heading into a wall of concrete. The carefree life. It doesn't exist. You have have stress in your job, don't you? Stress at home. Stress in the class. You have a really, really lousy class, you know, first first up. You have a really heavy load of classes for a particular semester. 
Or you signed up for a class that you thought was going to be fun and you realize, wow, this is not exactly what I was hoping for. I like you to think about your job. And, and young people, your job is to be a student. That's your job. Think about your job. Think about how stressful it is. I think that being a bomb disposal person is a, a lot more stressful. I can't really think of anything more stressful than that. Being explosives, how do they call it in the army? Explosive ordnance disposal. You're the guy or the girl, I suppose, that, that they call in to take care of bombs. There's no room for error in that one. And as I was thinking about that, I, I, I found this semi human No, it was very funny. Um, one of these guys in EOD uh, was talking about what, what Hollywood gets wrong about their job. And the first thing he says, he said, do you think that terrorists or, or military enemies are kind enough and courteous enough to leave you a timer that, that, that tells you exactly when the bomb is going to go off? He said, listen, there's never a timer. It doesn't tell you when it's going to go off. You have to guess. But something he said made me think about this. Paul says, walk circumspectly. Paul's inclined to use this term walk. The scriptures are inclined to think of our spiritual life as a journey. Sit not with sinners. Stand not with scorners. Don't walk with mockers, etc., etc., etc. This fellow said, actually disposing of the bomb is less stressful than getting to it. He said, the first thing we do is we decide, can we just shoot the thing and blow it up? Which I never thought about. He said, if there's no people around and the structure isn't that important, we just shoot it until it explodes. Problem solved. Then we send in a robot. If the robot doesn't get the job, then he has to put on that, that, that Michelin man kind of suit. And he said, the most stressful part is walking to the bomb. Walking to the bomb because... The terrorists are smart. The enemy is smart. They'll put a bomb before the bomb. And he said, and furthermore, and I never thought of this. He said, you realize that if you're in a war zone, he was talking about his experiences in Iraq, that if I'm walking towards a bomb, I'm in the crosshairs of somebody else. Somebody else is wanting to shoot me. He said, now the suit is pretty much bulletproof. And he says, and you don't have a sidearm with you because you really can't multitask at this job. You can't be shooting at people and trying to disarm a bomb at the same time. It just doesn't work. You have the reassurance that there's snipers that have your back. He says, and if you're successful in doing what you have to do, you turn around slowly and you follow your exact footprints. Because they got you there safely. In other words, he's being very, very careful. Now that's an obvious example. That's a job that requires a great deal of circumspection. That is a job that has an incredible amount of stress, and the consequences are very serious if you don't do it right. Things go bang and, and people die. And I was amazed at the tales he was telling about people, civilians, who, who, who ignore them, you know, who, who completely ignore um, what they have to say. And he also told these funny stories about farmers and old dynamite and barns and whatnot, you know. Things just blowing up, you know, and not thinking about it. Oh, dynamite's been in there for 50 years. Didn't think anything of it. Well, there's a reason why you have to think about it. Stuff blows up. Circumspection is what Paul is getting at here. We have to live our lives in a very real way, like those bomb disposal experts, realizing that this world is filled with landmines. 
everywhere we go. Again, this is not a call for paranoia. This is a call for wisdom and circumspection. It would be really silly for him to run towards those bombs. You walk slowly. You walk very slowly. And then once you get there, you take your time. Because it doesn't matter, because there is no timer. It might go off in five seconds. It might go off in five hours. They don't give you a road map. And he also said it's hardly ever the red wire that you're supposed to cut. Hardly ever that. They don't tell you when it's going to blow up, and they don't make it real obvious. Hey, there's a red wire going right to the timer. Maybe it's that. Since they don't make it that easy for you. It's always driven me nuts how it always goes down to the one-second mark. It's like, can't you just make it happen in five seconds for once? Just once. Walk circumspectly. This is the basic command of this passage. Not as fools, but as wise. Now, the verb that's translated there is see then, literally is talking about watching. And in this case, it's talking about your mind's eye, thinking about what you're doing. Thinking about what you're doing. And to walk circumspectly is talking about an exactness. An exactness. A perfect understanding of what is going on. That's what this word means. So what Paul is getting at is that in order to not be a fool and to be wise in this world, we have to know the terrain. We have to know our individual weaknesses. We have to know our weaknesses as a church. We have to know our weaknesses as a family. And you walk circumspectly. You think about what can go wrong. This is especially important for leaders in the church to have this going on. I think it was Benjamin Franklin who said, when in doubt, don't. When in doubt, don't. And one of the roles of your ruling elders as shepherds is to make certain that the fence line for the sheep is in repair and is strong and that the wolves are not around. It's not the sheep's job to worry about the wolves. It's not. It's the elder's job to worry about them. Now, the way we do that is we tell you that there's wolves out there. They're everywhere. What do wolves do to sheep, generally speaking? Is that a fun time? I'm pretty sure it's probably fun for the wolf pack. But for the sheep? They're the main course, the appetizer and dessert all in one. And that's what the world is seeking to do to us. The days are evil. So we need to walk carefully. Parents, we need to really do what, everything we can to instill this mindset in the next generation. And young people, you need to do everything you can to acquire this skill of walking circumspectly in this world, to think about what might go wrong. When in doubt, don't. Not as fools, but as wise. And one of the ways we do that is by redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now this word redeeming means to buy up at the market, literally. It's, it's a mercantile word. 
It's going to be a lot of Labor Day sales, right? A lot of stuff going on sale. This is a good time to buy summer wear. Actually, I'm probably a month late on that. Okay? It's probably almost a good time to buy Christmas stuff. It's going to be out really, really soon. Might even have Valentine's Day stuff out by Halloween. Who knows? When there's a sale and it's something you want or something you need, what do you do? You cut out that coupon. You hear stories about people, and maybe you've done it, and it's not, not a judgment on my part. I think it's crazy behavior, but again, it's not a judgment. Where you stand on line pre-dawn for hours to get into a store. Now, I was in sales for a long time. The world was different then. People didn't stand outside in the rain and the sleet and the snow for hours just to get in. It's crazy behavior. Is the product that important? Well, obviously to those people. One of my brothers did that for for one of his children. So six hours? Out of your mind? That's what this is talking about. And this is how we're to live circumspectly. To realize that we all have 24 hours in the day. Not everybody in this room is of equal intelligence. Not everybody in this room is of of equal mechanical ability. Some of you are much better at things than other people. And some people, it seems as if, wow, they can just do everything. Don't let them fool you. But we all have 24 hours. And this makes me think of time management. You hear a lot about that. Go ahead and try and manage time. Can you make a minute more or less than 60 seconds? Listen carefully. God is in charge of time. And his trains always arrive exactly when they're supposed to. Time management is really a misnomer. We're talking about self-management. How you manage your time. And because the days are evil... We should be gathering up this stuff. If you knew, if you knew that there was going to be a water shortage, or if you knew that there was going to be a food shortage, and you knew that in advance, you had insider information, what would you do? You would stock up, wouldn't you? You'd turn into a hoarder. You would start hiding stuff. You would have a lot of stuff in tin cans. You would have a lot of water. Why? Because the days are evil. You knew things were going to be bad. If you know something is going to go wrong, what do you do in the real world? You avoid it at all costs. And that's what Paul is telling us to do. To buy up the time, to gather it up because the days are evil. And don't be unwise. He uses this word again. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, this is not talking about the general will of the Lord. Thou shalt not murder is always on the books. Thou shalt not steal is always on the books. This is talking about those moments in our lives when we think that we're in a gray area and there is no gray in God's palette. There is light, there is dark, there is black, there is white, there is hot, there is cold. There's nothing in between. It may seem gray to us. It might. But to God, it's very, very clear. And that's what Paul is getting at. Understand what the will of the Lord is. 
by walking circumspectly, by paying attention to our life, by living a careful life, we will know what the Lord's will is for a given situation. Listen, if you go to buy a car, if you go to buy a, a grill tomorrow, I don't care how many hours you spend on your knees, God is not going to ring a bell and tell you, that's the car, that's the grill. He's given you a brain, and he's given you the spirit. He wants you to use your sanctified common sense. There's a used car dealer on Route 8. That way. It usually has nice cars. Yeah, everybody's thinking, wow, which one is he going to talk about? It's got, a, it's got a Rolls Royce out front now. Midnight Black. Twin Oaks or something like that. Now, Twin Oaks is a church in, in St. Louis. Down by that twin storage, whatever. It's a nice little dealership. They got a black Rolls Royce right out front. And someone said, why don't you go take it for a ride? I'm like, that would be dishonest. I'm not going to buy that thing. I would be dishonest. I would be dishonest. Be wasting that salesman's time. Actually, you probably have to give a, a pretty big deposit before you take the thing out on the road. It's a beautiful car. Who buys a used Rolls Royce? Two kinds of people. People who can afford it and people who can't. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. If you can afford it, God bless you. Knock yourself out. Now, if you're a Christian and you're making money and you're tithing and you can afford a Rolls Royce, knock yourself out. The vast majority of people can't afford one. And the vast majority of people cannot afford the repair bill. That thing's not loaded with a, a stock Chevy 350. That's an expensive vehicle to fix. But when it's running, it's nothing, nothing rides on that road like, like a Rolls Royce. Would you go out and buy that car? Have you made any silly purchases the last three or four years? Maybe not a Rolls Royce. No silly purchases. Are you a careful consumer? Are you what we used to call in the car business a spiral notebook commando? Someone who comes on the lot with a binder underneath your arm. It's like, I don't want to sell this guy a car because he's, been, he's here for research. Spiral notebook commando. One time I had a guy follow me to a different dealership. He walked through the door. I says, no, no, it's not happening. I can even remember what he did for a living. He said, really, I'm I'm thinking about a Honda now. I said, I bet you are. I said, I know someone who really sells Nissans, and he's a real nice guy. Do you want to go over there now? Big, gigantic binder on every possible car. There was a four-cylinder that got really good gas mileage. In other words, the type of car that you don't make any money on. He was looking for Tercels with sticks and no air conditioning. There's no money in those things. That's the kind of car he was looking for. Saw him walking around following me like a ghost. That's how you have to live your life. You have to think about what you're buying. And you have to think about who the salesman is. And the only way you do that is to walk circumspectly. And we don't have time, but we'll go into it next week about being drunk with wine. It's kind of tough to be circumspect when you're drunk with wine. Or scotch, beer. It's an impossibility. There's a reason why they call it spirits. And there's a reason why Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, 
We've been given the Holy Spirit. We can walk circumspectly and we can be wise if we would be willing to make the effort. May God give us the grace to make that effort this week. Oh Lord our God in heaven, we ask you to not give us carefree lives, but to make us careful about the lives you have given us. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen.